Welcome to Fill to Flourish with Luke and Lauren, where emotional health takes a stage and your story matters. So for this episode, we just wanted to give a few disclaimers. We are talking about abuse and the nature of abuse is um, a very complex and tricky conversation to have. We want people to become empowered and aware as education is so important, whether you have been abusive or whether you are the person who is being abused. This is so vitally important. We do want to say in this episode with Andrew, we have used um, female and male relationship and we've used the male as the abuser and the female as the victim um, for ease of conversation. And because that is the more common pattern, we um, are not saying that that is the only pattern that can exist in a relationship, but because of um, societal, cultural, um, historical nature of that relationship, the male has typically had more power. This is not always the case, and women can certainly be abusers as well. So when you hear our conversation, just know that we are using those terms for ease and because that is a more common pattern um, that we see in the evidence and also in practice. Um, and the second thing that we want to say is this is a tip of the iceberg. The point of this episode is to be uh, educational and informative. It's not for you to decide if your relationship is abusive or if it's not. You will likely need um, more support and resources through a trauma-informed, abuse-informed provider. That is our recommendation because of how complicated this topic is. Um, it's really important to get help from a safe, safe trusted um, source that people that you know and trust that understand abuse dynamics recommend as well. So we just encourage you if by the end of this episode, you have more questions and you're like, yes, I see some of these patterns and um, I'm concerned, uh, I we would encourage you to um, reach out to someone that can help you sift through this. I hope you enjoy this episode, and if you can, share it with those that may benefit from it as well. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we have a guest episode, which we love to have, and we have a really um, fun and really um, try not to stroke his ego too much, brilliant <laughs> guest that we wanted to have on the podcast because we, we love what him and his wife are doing, and we just think that you guys will benefit so much. So I'll tell you a little bit about him. It's Andrew Bauman. He's the founder and director of the Christian Counseling Center for Sexual Health and Trauma, CCC. He's a licensed mental health counselor with a master's of arts in counseling psychology from the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. He is the author of, um, I think your newest book, right? How Not to Be an Ass, The Sexually Healthy Man, Floating Away, Stumbling Towards Wholeness, The Psychology of Porn, and then with his wife, Dr. Christy Bauman, the book, A Brave Lament, which is also an award-winning film. So he is here with us today to talk about something really, really um, important. Hey, Andrew. Thank you, for, thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, we're excited to have you and appreciate you uh, being willing to be on on our podcast and to talk about this 
uh, topic, like Laura was saying. Yes. We, um, we have become more uh, abuse informed over the last couple of years, and that's become a really, uh, you know, beyond the trauma informed scope, um, abuse informed as well. That's become of vital importance to us in the work we do and the work that Luke does with couples specifically. So that's what we're going to kind of um, flesh out today in this conversation. So before we jump into the, the details of that, yeah, tell us a little bit about yourself. We don't know you personally, so um, we know you just moved and you're on the East Coast, but yeah, just tell us a little bit about who you are and what you love. Yeah. Um, so my name is Andrew, and I I think I've I've gone into this work because I have to. Uh, for me, it was 13 years of porn use, objectification of women, which led me um, to really have unhealthy relationships, um, not really know how to engage beauty um, with honor, um, and and so uh, it literally led me to. Um, the psych ward about 20, 20 years ago, mm -hmm. um, nearly taking my own life. And so it feels really personal to me, this type of work. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like I have to do it. I feel like it's part of now, like who I am. And so working with men to help them become sexually healthy, working with abusive men, um, and then also working with couples. Um, my wife and I work with couples and those dynamics, those abuse dynamics are wild. Um, to work with. And uh, it's so exciting to see men get it. It's so exciting to see men change because they can. It's yeah. it's rare and it takes a lot of blood. It takes a lot of suffering um, and yet it can happen. Uh, and it's beautiful to see men become good and safe again. Yes. Mm. Totally agree. Yeah. Oh, I, I, Fully agree. Can't emphasize that enough. It is what is so enjoyable to see a guy get it, and, mm. and that the shame of the coming off of being like a bad person, or yes, um, and just realizing, understanding the patterns, and understanding that yeah. you can be different and be empowered, and what loving, being a loving, safe man looks like, and yes, um, is. I, I, it doesn't get old. <laughs> See, yeah. I, oh. It doesn't get old. No doubt. No doubt. It's so beautiful. Um, mm -hmm. and so much of that shame comes from, you know, comes from early, early childhood trauma. Yeah. Right. And we, we turn on ourselves, mm -hmm. we turn on ourselves and we have that shame, that self contempt, and we have to rewire that we have to re-engage and reparent that little boy or that little girl inside of us and learn to love them in a new way that sets them free. Um, and, and watching men do that as they're full grown men going back to their, their little boys and weep and hold themselves. And, you know, it's just, it's quite stunning work. It feels uh, real sacred. Yes. It, absolutely. Yep. Totally. Oh yes. Goosebumps. It's um our audience is already if they don't know you yet now they're like oh that's why they're having him on this sounds so <laughs> such uh, align uh, in alignment with our heart for people and our heart for healing and just love that you emphasize um, grace and truth like you you um I think 
some people might veer too much to, oh, change isn't possible. It's just um, a done deal. Like there's no, um, there's no change available or the other side of like, anyone can change and, and, and lessen what it takes mm -hmm. and weaken yeah. the reality of what it takes to um, become new yeah. and, yes. and leave those ways and those adaptations behind. It's brutal. And um, we, we carry the same message of just, it's not common for an abusive person to become truly genuinely safe, but it doesn't mean it's not it's not available and accessible to them. They can, if they want to put the work in and. Yes, no doubt. And one of the, one of the things that helps me understand this is the spectrum of an abuser, which I find that men are on a spectrum. And so I call one side, the, the more extreme, and this is more rare, the narcissistic coward. Um, and, and these men I've probably sat over the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years. I probably sat with only about three of these men. And there's a, there's a fundamental evil there. And I thought they were going to kill me, um, all three of them. I would walk out of my office and I'd look around the corner just to think if they were going to stab me or come kill my family, like literally that type of evil. And those are very rare. Um, I call them the narcissistic coward and they don't change. Um, now, now, could they? Of course. Um, do they? No. Um, and the other extreme, which is, this is the norm. I call them the unaware fool. And these are good, good-hearted men that are completely unaware. They have not done the internal work to make them wise. And so there, there's this unawareness and they abuse out of their unawareness. It's not evil. It's not, it's not this darkness, but they haven't done the work and it hurts everyone around them. And that's the, the much more norm. And those men can change. And so there's the spectrum of an abuser that helps me understand, okay, where does this man fall? Um, mm -hmm. and how can they engage um, to this level? Yeah. I, I like that, putting some language to that spectrum because I, I have seen that spectrum, but I haven't really put a, a language where those bookends. And so I really like how you said that because mm -hmm. um, there are so many men who, like you said, there's, they don't realize how harmful, how being unattuned to their, their wife is or um, right. Uh, passive aggressive comments. Um, they just aren't aware of the emotionally alive and have that in touch with that embodiment of an empathy of saying, oh, yes, this hurts me when people treat me this way. Oh, that's what that's, ha that's happening there. I'm hurting her. But yes. they just push all that down. Like, I'm never hurt. I'm not hurt. I don't feel anything. I'm a rock. <laughs> and so- yes if I don't get hurt, then you shouldn't be hurt from the things I say either. Yeah. Kind exactly. of that mentality. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. So um, that makes me think of what specific signs um, could you give our audience of, of an idea that someone's more likely to change, you know, you never know who's going to change. No one can ever guarantee that for anyone, sure. but what are some signs that you go off of when you're doing therapy um, with either couples or individuals that change is churning and that it's genuine versus signs that it's not. Yeah. So I would say it starts with humility, right? And so the men that are willing to change, they have been tenderized by their suffering, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. They have been um, marinating in pain. 
And so there is a humility that's in them versus defensiveness, uh, reactivity. They are reflective rather than reactive, mm. right? Yeah. They seek to serve rather than be served, mm. right? So there's an awareness of the other. Yeah. Um, they, they are more centered and secured um, versus insecure and unaware, yeah. right? They've done that work or they at least begun that work. Mm-hmm. Uh, they seek mutuality rather than power and control mm-hmm. right they seek equality um and they seek to know and be known right there's not this isolation um this that you know or that arrogance right. and so those are a few few of the signs um that you got to seek out and if you're a man who wants to change wants to be different like yeah it starts with humility um that comes with being able to face your own death mm. And, and it is a journey and it's not a linear journey now but the idea of i see that humble man maybe in session or mm-hmm. parts of it but then there's also in certain situations or um topics there's a defensiveness that comes up mm-hmm. and um yes kind of when you see that is that mm-hmm. to you like a sign of um he just needs more work or the sign of uh yeah like it's a harsh a hardness hardened it's basically a curiosity rather than judgment mm-hmm. it's a curiosity of okay what what just happened for you yeah right and using our body listening to our body as a signpost to what's happening why, why was I just being defensive? Right. Why was I just watching that movie and I just started weeping, yeah. right? Like what, what is going on in my story, yeah. right? So 20, whatever, 20 something years ago when that movie Finding Nemo came out, remember that? Mm-hmm. I'm watching it with some friends and all of a sudden I start tearing up. I'm like, and shit, you know, a little embarrassed. I'm trying to wipe the tears away and not let them see. And then later I'm like, why was I, why did I tear up? Yeah. My whole life, I've been longing for my father to pursue me. Mm-hmm. My whole life. Yeah. And here's this orange little fish whose father goes to huge lengths to seek him out. Mm-hmm. The same thing, my broken little boy, longing to be pursued, yeah. wanted. Yeah. I teared up because that's what I needed. Mm-hmm. That's what I longed for. And so if I have contempt for my tears, I'm going to miss out on the curiosity of why is my body reacting in this way? And so that's the same thing with defensiveness. Instead of becoming, you know, angry, judgmental, can you become intimate with what's going on inside of you? And then that can lead to great territory uh, for you to explore. Um, And that's, yeah, that's the work, man. And then it becomes about action. Oh, I feel my energy coming up, right? I feel my body beginning to tense up instead of lashing out at my spouse. I'm going to say, Hey, babe, can I take a time out? I I feel I I need to go tend to something that's being triggered inside of me. And I don't Mm want to do do harm to you. And you begin to take responsibility for your actions and no longer becoming aggressive um, in your uh, engagement. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, again, love what you just that invitation and compassion of like 
you're not going to get it right. You're not going to get it perfect. Like mm -hmm. it is not a linear progression, but when you, whether it's relapse of abusive behavior, defensiveness, um, mm -hmm. being, being an ass, like, okay, <laughs> what just happened? Like, yeah. why did that happen? And that doesn't, and just that encouragement to the men listening, that having those same patterns doesn't mean that you're back at the beginning or that there's no hope for you. It means you're not done. And, Correct. and there's an invitation to, in that moment, to love your wife and love yourself by being curious and digging deeper, doing the work. Exactly. Um, yeah. It's actually going to help you. It's almost like free therapy. Exactly. Yep. You know, it's going to help you, you know, get a pen, get a paper, start writing yes. it out. What's yeah. going on for me? What, well, let's be curious. What story does this remind me of? Oh, this reminds of when I was seven and, and this happened and okay, like what needs to be tended to? What right. needs to be, what ground needs to be tilled for you to discover what's in, what's in there? Mm. And for, <clears throat> I know you have other questions on, um, and I want to get to that. Um, how do you help? So the men out there listening, who don't have that emotional awareness, don't have those tools to reflect, don't have that ability to say, um, or even memories. Like I talked to so many men and it's like, I don't, of course. I don't, don't have any, I don't have memories. I don't have, I don't know what that, what I'm sure right now. Well, let's, let me just say this in, in regards to memory, it's not about remembering. So we get hung up on the memory. That's not how the body works. It's not how memory works. Mm -hmm. And so it's not a photograph. There you go. It's an impressionistic painting. Mm -hmm. So will you allow yourself to paint freely? Well, what do you think probably happened? Yep. What was the, what was the carpet like? What was the, what was the color of the walls? What do you think he probably said? What did your body, and if you can remember, um, not the exact facts of what happened, but the meaning of what happened, that's what we're trying to get to. Yeah. So we go back all the time and we react, we uh, replay these stories and we reenact them and we, we act them out. We live them, these horrific traumas, and nobody remembers exactly. That's not the point. That's right. actually, cares. I don't care. What do you think probably happened? And we just set our bodies free because you can't change the facts of your trauma, but we can change the meaning of your trauma. Mm. And that's what we're doing. We're in the business of changing the meaning of trauma. Um, and so we go back and we reclaim these stories um, and you cannot get stuck on, yeah, the facts of exactly what happened. That's not how the body works. Mm. That's right. Yes. Um, love that. I love that. Because I find a lot of men getting stuck there of like, I don't remember. I was like, what's your body saying right now? Let's mm -hmm. get some words to that right there. Exactly. Right there. Start somewhere. Let's take a first step. Yeah. Uh, and, and the way you described it, that free painting. I love that imagery. Mm -hmm. So um, wondering with your practice, what um, some details on when you will not work with a couple, like mm -hmm. when, when couples counseling is not mm -hmm. advised um, mm -hmm. the, and when individual is better, like your thoughts on that. Yeah. And um, 
Yeah, for sure. Uh, so when it comes to abuse or active, you know, sexual uh, abuse, addiction, whatever you want to call it, compulsive behavior, it, it, you know, a lot of times marriages will be like, oh, we need help when really the marriage doesn't need help. Um, the person using needs help. The person abusing needs help. It's not a marriage issue. And so we really look at the marriage as a third entity. We call it the marriage soul. And so how long have you been married? Well, you two, how long have you two been married? We'll go with you. 16 years. 16 years. So you, the first thing you guys ever co-created was your 16 year old. So that's your first child. <laughs> so what we do is, you know, when a couple comes in, what's the health of that 16 year old? right? Are they in the ICU, right? Are they, do they just have a common cold or, you know, like what is the condition? Why do you come? And so then we explore that, that entity. If there's abuse, if there's, you know, that, that entity is damaged, no doubt it's hurting, but it has really nothing to do with that third entity. It doesn't have to do with that marriage soul, right? Because abuse skewers everything. So I call abuse cancer versus, you know, a baseball bat to the kneecap or you know it's like the other one sucks it hurts right. <laughs> but it's not terminal right right it's it's different and so abuse changes everything um mars our views of of pretty much everything so so we screen everybody that comes in and then we we say hey you know we can put you through this program we can do this before you're even ready to come to our marriage intensive mm -hmm. okay and what if Something I see a lot is like, um, is where there's uh, like maybe gaslighting, manipulation, defensiveness. Um, it might be in the past where there, the marriage hasn't really healed from it, but sure. there's, there's growing trust, but there's still fear or hesitancy mm -hmm. to do marriage counseling. There's a there's manipulation, which I think is like abusive, but when it's kind of that uh, blurry, sure, there's there's not like straight guidelines to it. Um, yeah, and maybe even the husband's not even aware what he's doing is wrong. Sure, um, but the wife is very much being harmed. Yep, in that area, share with our audience how you would handle that. Yeah. So what we try to do, not just talk therapy, we try to do somatic body work, right? We try to bring our body to the work. And so what we would do in that you know, situation, kind of the first body exercise that we do is we have couples stand probably 10 feet apart. Um, and then they begin one of their fights. They begin one of their conversations, one of their speed bumps. And then what we do is we have them step forward if they feel closer to their partner during the argument. And we have them step back if they feel further. And so they're always stepping forward, stepping back. But what we're trying to demonstrate is, okay, this is, we want your internal world and your external world to match, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. We want to bring that. And so if the dude is talking down to her and he doesn't even know he's doing it, she's stepping further and further back. Wait, if the goal is intimacy, if the goal is connectivity, yeah. right? what's happening here? How are you communicating with her? How is this making her feel? And then so that we're going to stop the exercise. We're going to talk about it. He's going to ask her, hey, what? why did you step back? What, what's going on? Well, I feel like you're talking down to me again. I feel like I'm your little kid and you're, you know, uh, infantilizing me. 
okay, can I try again? Yes. Yeah. And then we actually, we do it right there. Yeah. You know, we actually do it. And so it all, 75% of our marriage intensive, they're eye to eye. Mm -hmm. So they're normally on the ground, eight inches apart, and they're literally engaging full eye contact. No, wow. like that. Because every time we fight, we have to fight with our full humanity. Yeah. We have to fight with our full health. I mean, our, our full eyes, our full bodies. And so <clears throat> when you don't look at people, you can dehumanize them more quickly, wow. right? And so we do face-to-face -face everything. Um, and that's how we engage. And we found, yeah. And, and, and we, we appreciate anger. Anger's yeah. good. Anger's right. beautiful. And you should be angry. Mm -hmm. Anger is different than aggression right? And aggression is dehumanizing. Aggression does, um, you know, cut the other one down. And so we learn to fight clean. We learn to fight well. Um, and that's sadly a muscle that few people have actually worked out. Yeah. And so there is a lot of training in that of like, okay, how do we fight? How do I self-regulate so I don't project onto my partner? Yeah. And I love that exercise. Um, one there's immediate feedback hmm. um, it's not like 10 minutes later he realizes she's mad or she gets she tells him that she's mad and he's like at what and so right. i love that instant feedback and i love the practice of <clears throat> even at that point there the, the practice of neuroception or body language reading the body language like yes. if you're looking at each other you're automatically getting that uh familiarity and consciously and subconsciously that yes. this is what fear looks like this is what um safe and social the nervous system state of safe and social looks like mm -hmm. um so that's really just from not just a practical good marriage counseling um exercise but just like the neuroscience behind that yes is, is also really cool and solid and my mind was just going there. Like, yeah, that's awesome. That's really cool. Yeah, it's a powerful exercise that people do. You do really that respond. virtually too? If uh, no, we do all of our intensives in person. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes it nice. So yeah. um, I have a question that I didn't didn't tell you about, Andrew, but it came <laughs> up as you were sharing. Um, and you know, this is this is a little bit um, sticky of a conversation point, but. Sometimes you see um, or hear the adage of like 50-50 and I saw a, a post the other day from, from someone that I follow and it said like, you expect me to take your side as the therapist, take your side in, in session, but I'll never do that. Like, I'm not going to call your spouse out in front of you. And it didn't sit well with me. Um, weird. It didn't feel abuse informed at all, unfortunately. And so I'm just, I'm just wondering, like, when there's a clear abuser and victim dynamic, which I imagine a lot of the people coming to you have that yeah. clear dynamic. Um, yes. I take sides all the time, of course. Yeah. <laughs> I just like, you're full of shit. Like, that's just not okay. Like, like, you are completely wrong. Yeah. Like, like let's let's explore that i'm not mad at you but like we gotta go we gotta go here you gotta do work do you want to do you want your marriage mm. do you want your marriage to work this is not working yeah um like and we just we dive right in but yeah no the, the whole point what you pay me for is to be a truth teller 
Right. Like, what, I'm, of course, I'm going to take sides if you're in the wrong. Um, like, yes, I, I got to tell the truth of what I see. That's what you're yeah. paying me for. I would do you a grave injustice if mm-hmm. I don't. Right. Which has been really cool. You're you're Enneagram eight, right, Andrew? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I am as well. And Luke is a nine, which is so different than an eight, but he's got that eight wing. And it's been amazing through the years to see like Luke's very clear justice orientation come out um, mm-hmm. as he's working with people and his willingness to just be so honest. And it's a gift to people. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And it's the, I think the only thing that works with narcissism, you know, um, to confront a narcissist with power and strength, like, it's like, it's almost the only thing they respond to. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And I, and when there's abuse, I also feel like there's a need to know that the the woman to know that there's safety there with that other guy. Exactly. Exactly. Right. That's why like 80, I think it was like 84% of my you know, nearly 30,000 followers are women. It's like, oh, I, I, all I do is write to men. What's happening? And then realizing, oh, women are finding my message. There's some healing there for them to actually begin to experience masculinity in a different way. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Not toxically. Right. Yeah. Mm. That's, that's beautiful too. I love that. Oh, so I guess I'm wondering, um, is most of your couples work intensives? Do not do like weekly? It's, it's all intensives. It's all yeah. intensives. Okay. So um, when you're talking to a couple and your intake before they ever come to see if it'll be a good fit, um, when are you going to say, no, this isn't, this isn't going to work? Part. Yeah, in the first five minutes. First. Yeah. yeah. Tell tell us more. Um, you can just tell. I mean, I've done this for so long and kind of know when they are defensive or reactive or they haven't done any work or they're just like, yeah, you know, I haven't done any therapy or, you know, I don't, I haven't read your books. I'm like, you know, it's like I haven't done any work. Like, awesome. You're not coming to see me. Like, we're, we're like, sorry. Like, I've got stuff to do. Like, I'm like only if you mean business you know and then pay me a ton of money um to come see me like i I don't have time to waste on Mm. on you you know and so we've got a whole team of people um that can can do that kind of weekly weekly work but in a sense i've just kind of found my niche of like no if you're coming we're going to go into surgery we're going to cut you open we're going to find out what's in there and we're going to stitch you up and we're going to dive in deep and it's going to hurt yeah um but it's those people that mean business or or who have done therapy for decades and have not found you know the liberation it's like that seems to be it but yeah you can tell so quick when somebody is just defensive reactive or has not done that Mm -hmm. emotional work to become humble yeah yeah yeah. That's awesome to have that much experience that you just feel confident in that knowing now, <clears throat> you like that internal knowing um, that's so freeing to mm-hmm. be able to know who you can help and who you, who you can't help because they're not, they're not ready. They're just not ready. Yeah. And I tried, I mean, especially early on in my career, 
like, oh, I can help anybody, right? This hero complex. So I just take anybody and like, oh, they couldn't be. And I'm just like, this sucks. <laughs> I do not want to be with, I'm, you know, it's just like, look, dreading that, you know, 12 o'clock hour when they're coming in. It's just like, this is, this is dumb. They need, they could pay me $10,000 an hour and it's not worth being in their presence. Um, yep. And so it's like, you know, I just, I've learned it's not helpful for either of us. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. It's, it's hard work for them and for us. If we're going to work together, like let's make it in, not fun, but in, enjoyable and, and um, efficient. Mm -hmm. Like, so there's actually, like you said, they're not, we're not wasting each other's time. Right. Yeah. Um, and not everybody wants to be helped and we can't help everybody no yeah. that's, that's but they say they want to help that's the that's the thing right like, oh no i want to help i'm like no you don't you do not want to die and i'm asking you to die i'm asking mm. you to suffer right and you don't want to suffer you want to avoid pain yeah. therefore i cannot help you right. until you become comfortable with your own death mm. so that makes me wonder the people that are really covert, the people that really seem, they've really mastered that genuine feel and that humble demeanor. Um, can you even see beyond them? Like, I mean, do you have mm -hmm. like a x-ray vision? Like there's some people that are so skilled. In right. Well, if they, they make present. it through, yeah, if they make it through the screening and they come, that, that comes out, right? Yeah. So they're, it's almost like they put on a show. And, and I'm so, I mean, this is, you know, my father was a pastor and then secretly had affairs for my mom for 25 years and had a whole secret life. And so I feel like my whole life is like, I'm so, and then I became a fraud myself. It's just like, I can smell a fraud a mile away or a politician. Mm -hmm. And it's just like that politician will come out and it's just like, I don't trust you, you know? So I'll say that right away or, or this new litmus test uh, my son passed away about 12 years ago and um, I used that as a way of would I feel comfortable um, I had all of our our best friends held him um, held his body um, in the hospital room and we passed him around and we all held him um, and just that being the new litmus test of like would I trust you to hold my son uh, my son's name was brave would I would I have you hold brave and I can tell very quickly, just using that within myself, within a few minutes, like, no, I would never trust you to hold my most sacred um, thing. Like, yeah. I, I know, no. Yeah. Um, and, and I use that as, okay, I don't trust you. Tell me why I don't trust you. Wow. Why do you feel fake to me? Why do you feel like a politician? What, like, what's going on? Wow. Well, I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. I've just always acted like this. And I've just, <laughs> been like, okay. Well, something's going on, um, and I want to trust you. Um, I want to have intimacy with you, mm -hmm. and I don't. And I would imagine your wife probably feels the same. Mm. Right? So that's kind of how the work will do of just kind of going right to it. Oh, people must get so pissed at you. Oh, my gosh. Totally. That's where that Enneagram 8 comes in, comes in handy, but <laughs> I kind of like it. So. <laughs> That's kind awesome. of sick but it's kind of <laughs> it's awesome it's, it's beneficial and it's kind of work 
Oh my gosh. What, how do you help women on that journey of say the man is doing the work and that he is trying, um, how do you walk with a woman as she's building trust, not feeling safe, um, maybe even mad at herself for not feeling safe? Sure. Um, and that, and in that transitional period where like she has every right not to feel safe. Totally. Yeah. A lot of it is affirming their experience, right? Where they've so in so many churches have taken away, you know, in the work that I do, a lot of Christian people, uh, they have taken away their voice or they have gaslit them and said, no, your experience doesn't matter. Just serve them. More. Just love them more. Just have more sex or something. Right. And it's just like, oh, this is so gross. Yeah. And it's like, they just haven't even had males affirm their experience. They've been told that their experience doesn't matter or it's not important. And so that's the first of just affirming their experience. Um, but the deeper they go, I mean, abuse impacts all of us, uh, all who are in that relationship. So they need to, their work too. Um, they need to do different type of work, um, but it's um, it's important. So we we connect them with one of our affiliate counselors and they, you know, they'll walk with somebody weekly to just help them reestablish their voice and step into their strength again. Yeah. So you just affirm and normalize this journey and it's okay where they're at and then help them do that healing work on their own as well. Exactly. Good. Yeah, that's good. And um, yeah, because I, so much I see just the wife, like the, they're carrying some of that shame of mm-hmm. of not being able to trust like they trust again. Right. Um, but yeah, just that normal normalizing it of trauma stops us from it's not an intellectual thing, it's an experiential and exactly, exactly. Yeah. Yep. And so trying to talk to the men to understand it, right? I use the analogy of a car accident. And they were driving the car of the relationship and they were driving irresponsibly and they crashed the car into a tree and your spouse was in the front seat and now she has internal bleeding. Now she has whiplash, a broken arm, broken legs, right? Like, okay, she's dealing with this. And now how are you, you're just going to ask her to get in the car with you again? Yeah. What? No. No. She's going to need years of physical therapy, right? Years of trying to learn how to walk, how to use her arm, how to breathe properly. Like this is the work. And so if you can hold that analogy, then you can begin to establish kindness of, oh, this was my fault. Like I was driving irresponsibly. I didn't do the work to drive safely. Mm -hmm. And now I need to help build my environment ADA compliant. I need to widen the door frames. I need to lower the countertops. I need to put those little bars everywhere, mm-hmm. you know, and a handicap ramp so my wife can begin to operate in a safe way and I can actually help her create mm-hmm. safety and stability in her life because of what I did. Mm-hmm. And I love how you expanded that, not to just being a safe driver, but now I have to attune to her outside of the car. Like in every situation, I have to create Correct. safety. I have to attune to her needs. Um, and and accommodate, accommodate accommodate to the harm that I've yes. done. So now these accommodations are needed 
um, not because she's weak, but because exactly. of the the actual harm to her spirit, her body, her mind. Um, <clears throat> and I need to uh, uh, I need to offer these accommodations for as long as they're needed. Correct. Yep. Exactly. Wow, that's a powerful analogy. It is a powerful um, analogy. Uh, I think a lot of times there's that like backlash of, you know, the the husband starts seeing and the scales start coming off and he starts changing and he's so excited and he's so like ready to finally have a, you know, a marriage and intimacy that he's, he's suppressed. And so he's like starting to change, but then she's back in like this catastrophic, you know, tornado that's hit her yes. whole city and just leveled everything. And she's there like, what the hell? Like you think it's just, there's so much repair that's needed. And and it's not to say like the guy shouldn't be excited. That's awesome that he's finally seen clearly and that he's finally like alive for the first time. But um, no, they've had two different journeys. She's seen it for a long time or felt it at least. And yeah. Yeah, exactly. Wow. Okay, so paint us a little bit as we we close up here. Um, paint us a picture of like a couple that comes to you, kind of kind of from start to finish. Let's say um, a, a, one of those stories that we all love and all want, and all hope that our marriages can be of redemption. Like, what what can this look like? Yeah, um, I think you know, really, each marriage is so unique and so different, right? So when it comes to abuse, that's a different animal. And when it's just kind of healthy people that have lost their way or you know good people that have lost mm. their way both couples have the hard work of learning to self-reflect um they dive in right they're eye to eye um they're arguing full-bodied um they're bringing out all the the secrets all the things they've held um and they bring it to the surface there's no more lies no more deception everything is um, an authentic engagement um yeah, and their full anger, full resentment is coming out, right? Um, and once all that is on the table, that is when true, like, intimacy happens. And it's beautiful when couples begin to find uh, intimacy after they fight. Like, oh, wait, we're still connected. Yeah. Oh, wait, that didn't take us out. Like, oh, we actually respected each other during that heated fight about our in-laws that we've had 10,000 times or whatever, right? Or about sex or about finances, like these huge things um, that we've always fought about. We can actually remain intimate, even though we completely disagree. Um, Gottman, the marriage guru um, says 70%, yeah, 70% of marriage arguments are unresolvable. 70%. That's insane. What if it's not about resolving the argument as much as it is, is remaining connected and understanding each other within Mm -hmm. the argument, right? Like, what if it's not about resolving? What if it's about engaging, understanding? That's the work that we're trying to do. We're not trying to resolve stuff. The stuff's not going to be resolved. You're two different people with different stories coming together to do relationship. You're going to see the world differently. That's actually a benefit. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're just different. Stop trying to convince the other person to be like you, and let's understand each other. Um, and that's good movement. That's good yeah. healing. Mm. And that's that could be a whole conversation 
and lots of different relationships and, and world of just like, stop trying to make people think like you and just understand people. But that's a whole nother episode. <laughs> but yeah, I love that. We, um, because yeah, I remember reading that 70%, but it's, it's true. We, we are taught how to argue by debating or by proving yes. that we're right and you're wrong. And once you get right. stuck in that one, then yeah. it's not resolvable unless you guys both agree on the same right. point. And, and that's where so much of our work is understanding family of origin, right? And it's like, yeah, my mom, you know, we get away from my abusive father when I'm eight years old and then she becomes numb. And my siblings and I, we just literally verbally destroy each other. Like that's mm-hmm. how it becomes. So I'm a very, really good orator, right? Like I'm really good. Ar- you don't want to argue with me because I'm an asshole, right? And so it's like, where did I learn that? Oh, it was because literally it was survival of the fittest in my home where my mom could not manage us. And we just literally ripped each other to shreds. You don't want to argue with my sister either, right? PhD, like she'll destroy you. And it's just like, oh, whoa, like I, and then I bring that to my marriage. And, oh gosh, this is not healthy. This is not good. I need to take responsibility for how I talk. And, and where did I learn? Like, this is the work of unlearning really toxic traits that you used to survive. I needed that in a sense. So I wouldn't get annihilated. And yet part of that goodness, what makes me a good orator is actually wrapped up in my depravity and my darkness of what makes me where I can be and hurt people that I love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. And that's where that compassion and curiosity comes back around, like you were talking about earlier, that sometimes our adaptations out, outlast their usefulness. Yeah. As a child, that was that was survival. Yeah. But with your wife, with like same with my adaptation with my wife, it's very different yes. than it's not my brother that I'm interacting with, it's my wife. And yes. those same adaptations are not going to go over as the same way with her. Exactly. Yeah. So, so real quick, Andrew, that, that scenario was like the unhealthy marriage scenario. So say the abusive marriage comes to you, you do, you do see them, you are willing to do the work. How could that look, um, for their healing? Um, yeah, yeah. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's normally years of recovery, right. And it takes time, but that, that humility stays, um, and, three steps that that help and this is from um tom pride his categories number one the husband provides safety um and so that's safe conversations he's no longer react you know reactive he's no longer talking down to her he's no longer abusive then it's stability the next stage that helps the wife recover so it's doing the same thing over and over for a long period of time Mm. right that final stage is when she steps into her strength. That's when she finally forgives him. That's when she begins to release and fully step into her power and her own voice. So many times men want to jump to stage three first. Yeah. yeah. Right. Wait, why don't you forgive me? Right. Just forgive me. Let's move on. Why do you stick, stay in the past without providing stability or safety? Right. Right. And so if those steps can, can be taken, 
um, then slowly that marriage can repair. Now, if it's years from now and he is providing safety and stability, like, okay, something's going on. Like, so like she, she okay, well, she's got to do some more work. And then this is where, you know, people get mad at me. Oh, you're victimizing the victim. It's just like, again, if you want your marriage to be healthy, at some point you got to do marriage work. (laughs) Yeah. Sometimes you got, you got to step into, okay, why can't your heart move on? Maybe too much harm was done. um, And you do need to let this marriage die. Yeah. Maybe you can't move on and that's okay. I'm not mad at you. Um, You do need to have more integrity and say goodbye. Mm. You can't play marriage. Um, if you're not willing to to hear yeah that's that's a good word and like you said it's after a lot of time years of showing of providing the safety and the stability Uh, those are the foundational bedrock of uh, a wife being able to step into her strength her power her autonomy fully you know healed and able to connect in a deep intimate way with trust and yeah, lots of work. Hmm. No doubt. Um, okay, so last question. Any, you mentioned Gottman, you mentioned, was it Pratt? Who was the second? Pride. The, Pride. Tom, Tom Pride. Tom Pride. Um, who else do you um, appreciate their their marriage work or abuse um, yeah. resources? Yeah. Um, you know, Sarah McDougall and Sheila Gregoire and... Um, Natalie Hoffman, some of my mm-hmm. favorites. Yeah. You know, um, the Allender Center, as far as just story work, counseling, um, you know, big fans Definitely. of their work and who I used to work for. And yeah, those are a few people that I follow. Um, Dr. Robert Masters for men, his, his work um, is stellar. Um, so yeah, those are a few. Cool. Awesome. I've got yeah. some books as well. And Andrew Bauman. Yeah, Andrew Bauman's got some great stuff. (laughs) So um, they can find you at um, christiancc.org and andrewjbauman.com. You're also on Facebook at Andrew James Bauman. We'll put those in the podcast notes. Um, And your books are all on Amazon, right? Yep. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you guys for having me. It's a fun conversation. Yeah, Yeah, we really enjoyed it. Uh, thank you thank you too have a good day and thank you for your time thank you luke and i run a global trauma healing and brain retraining practice called flourish therapy we work with those who are suffering from the effects of chronic stress and trauma in their bodies and minds helping them find their way back to regulation connection and health we offer individual services couple services as well as three-day intensives You can check out all of our offerings and social media contacts at our site, flourishtherapy.co, and go ahead and download the free 16 signs and symptoms of nervous system dysregulation. While it is a joy to provide our podcast content as a source of life enrichment, please note that information shared is not intended to replace or contradict any professional therapy or medical advice.